1: through the matrix on october the 29th 2007 for newcomers as always check into the website cutting through the and go through some of the histories from previous talks i've given over the years on what led up to this position uh, where we stand today and where we're going from here and the various organizations that are behind it and look into Alan Watts sent in for downloadable transcripts in the tongues of Europe. And I don't know how many people in the US and Canada have noticed over this last few days the spraying's been stepped up in the skies there. Even though it's overcast, if you look, you'll even see the lines cutting through the clouds, the straight lines from the jets, because whatever they're spraying... It's not water vapor, it's coming right through the clouds and leaving these very dark trails and people are becoming pretty tired or laid back. That's other effect that drugs would have on you. And they're waking up as well with muscle cramps and various muscular problems. That seems to be a side effect of whatever it is that's in the spraying. And personally, I think it's the the main objective right now is to get the spraying stopped because if we can't stop is being sprayed over us, and we're breathing in every single day then there's not much of a chance for any of us for all the rest of the things that are going on and sure enough there's lots going on as always and we're the last to know. That's the way of history the big boys write the history they're the victors and they write it in retrospect and take out all the bad bits that have done to the public. We'll be the last to know too once we enter into the brave new world of Huxley and we'll be, we'll be told then, of course, what actually happened to the public. And no one will care because you have a new type of human being. that won't care much about anything except their, their drug intake and their pleasure. That's the Huxley, the Huxley Brave New World agenda. And another thing that's cropped up, too, is this new bill that went through the House in the U.S., and I believe it was sponsored even or put up there by the Pentagon or they get, they're taking charge of this particular bill because it was passed. And it's Bill HR 1955, called Violent Radicalization and Homegrown Terrorism Prevention Act of 2007. And it apparently it went right through the House. No problem at all. It sailed through. They did what they were told and voted for it. And what they say they want is to go after all talk show hosts who they claim have uh, advocated violence. But the wording is so typically legalistic, you could stretch it like rubber bands. It said here, to produce exact quotes showing where the patriot or truth movement broadcasters, as distinct from callers to the show, and those who call themselves patriots but are not directly on the air themselves, have advocated violent radicalization and homegrown terrorism. Now that's wide open. I mean, radicalization is anything outside uh, what becomes normal. And since normal is always changing, uh, then anything can be called radical, even fashion. So your words can be bent whichever way they want. And this is the next step of the war, which is going after people who speak. And that's really what it is. They want only one side of everything to be told to the public. It's worked very well, but not for everyone. We're back after these messages. The Matrix and just talking a little bit about Bill one nine five five. Must something must have important must have happened in nineteen fifty five for them to bring that up because they like the little games and the little tricks. And I'm sure we'll find something with the NSA or CIA stuck in there somewhere, some creation of something. But they're going after the talk show host now, and I have said for years that eventually the Pentagon will dish out all the politically correct. News to the Patriot stations one day and tell them what they can and can't talk about. That will come. And they'll have to make an example of someone, of course. And this is the end of free speech. And this started really a quite some time ago, about 10 or even 15 years ago. Gradually, little snippets came into the media and the media parted it to us and they called it anti-government. It was a new term in the West, It was a very old term in the Eastern Soviet bloc because anyone who complained about anything to do with government was termed anti-government, which is kind of a corn game because when you think about it, uh, all the parties that want into power are are decrying the present governments that are in. Then they get into power, then the opposition decries them. So technically all parties are anti-government when they're all complaining about each other. But this term came into the common usage it is sort of snuck in, like all things do, and people start to accept these terms without thinking much about them. But I knew at the time uh, this was really getting set up for a day to come, and the day basically is here, where anyone who complains about anything that government's up to is, is not complaining about a government policy; they're actually anti-government, and that's where it's all going. And the whole law on this really is no different than the Soviets because they'll have their political prisoners shortly put in uh, from the general population into special gulags where you get reconditioned and you come out like a robot saying all the right things and bowing to the right people on cue. And that's where it's all going. Now, I think we have Don from North Carolina on the line. Are you there, Don? Hello? Hello, Don? Hi, Alan. Hello.
2: Can you hear me? Yes. Uh could you comment on um, Warren Buffett? Do you know if he's a a Rothschild agent?
1: Uh, Personally, this is just my take on things. I think anybody who's been in that game of politics and in that position for years, uh, they belong to the system, the system that that, uh, is not the people's. It's a lifelong career with these people. You hear their names your whole life long. And uh, uh, so, te- and if they haven't changed anything by now, why would you think they change anything for the better in the future? You know. So, yeah. so I tend not to fall into the, the to, to the leader uh, category, ch- chasing leaders and praising them. I, I've uh, lived too long to to see the same cons in every country, and they always give us the knights nice in shiny armour that say all the right things until they get into power. And that's been the history of politics for as long as as you can go back. And they've got to stop looking for knights in shining armor and realize that that we are the people and we're the ones who are supposed to um, advise them on what to do. But we never get uh, asked for our advice. In fact, we're dominated, really, by our system. And that's the beauty of party politics. The dialectic is right in the the game of party politics. It's a lifelong party for these guys, as you can tell by the color of some of their noses. And uh, they belong to a party. They don't represent the people. They, they literally belong to the party. And everyone wants to get up the ladder within that party. So the man at the top, as long as you control the man at the top, the rest of them are like trained seals that clap for him. And that's what Professor Carl Quigley said in his own book, uh, The Tragedy and Hope. He said, we don't have to own all the politicians for the Council on Foreign Relations for this agenda. He says it's only important we own uh, the man at the top and, and a few advisors. The rest of them are allowed a, a form of competition down below to keep their jobs. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all it is, is yeah. it's a
2: show for the public. Yeah, because I noticed uh, Warren Buffett, you know, he had uh, <clears throat> met with Lord Rothschild, was in the Scotsman, at the, one of the... Scottish newspapers with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger before he decided to run for governor. then when he yep. came back, then he made his announcement on the Tonight Show. I, you know, I just remember that and mm-hmm. i've had some uh, and also um, did a little research. I found this out i don 't know if people know this, but uh, Warren buffett's father was was uh, a member of the um, Colvert Lodge number eleven. In Omaha, Nebraska. So I know his father was a Mason. So I'm just assuming that, yeah, even though you can't identify Warren Buffett as a Mason, that he might, may be high up enough that, you know, that he's not actually associated yeah, with been, any particular lodge. You know, yeah, that's
1: right. You, you have uh, lodges at the top that can go into any lodge, as it's the Grand Lodge or, or any other lodge across the world, and uh, some of them are in the noble orders. Where they don't, uh, they keep really out of the, the public limelight. It's not printed anywhere until one day when they retire, they'll mention it in the newspapers. But while they're in power, they generally don't mention much about it.
2: Yeah, why are, you know, what I'm noticing is our people are so apathetic, you know, even about investigating 9 11, you know, I'm a retired airline pilot, and even my own friends, you know. Mm-hmm. They sit there and I, I try to tell them these things, you know, what, what, what's really going on, and they say, well, that's just your opinion, you know. They won't even take the five minutes to even investigate. And what they do is they get angry at you. You get angry you know? because
1: you're bursting their comfortable paradigm where they, they've been trained all their lives. Remember, Aldo Huxley said it, scientific socialism, scientific indoctrination. You don't realize that every cartoon that you started off with that was affecting you and giving you little programs and messages right up through your schooling, right up through the media taking over and giving you what you need to know. And uh, uh, you've got a lifelong indoctrination. And under socialism, which is the intent is to keep the public playing like children, while the adults, the, the ones at the top, uh, take care of the big problems, most folk have swallowed that hook, line, and sinker. And the problem is now you're dealing with adults who are just like children, and they're living in a comfy paradigm. They don't want to, to look at what could be happening and even what they might notice themselves at the corner of their eyes because it makes them uncomfortable. And they know if they question one little thing or even one big thing that's going on, they may have to review everything they ever believed and they don't want to go there. So, yeah, yeah the slaves, the happy slaves themselves will, will turn on you because you're bursting their bubble.
2: Yeah, it, it's and you're going
1: to realize you're dealing with brainwashed people. They really believe the six o'clock news, you know.
2: Yeah, they, I mean, it just um, it's just the um, apathy, you know. People don't seem to give a, give a crap about anything anymore, you know. It's just yeah. Well, society just, itself and
1: the bonds of society uh, that held it together and got people through the worst of times has again, under socialism, been successfully eliminated. Um, if someone in the family even gets hurt or gets sick, even family members will say, well, there's, a, there's welfare, will take care of that or something. It's always a government agency. They've taken over the roles of families, and, and there's no bonding anymore between people. And, and so uh, that was part of the whole, the whole Institution had talked about as early as 1900 the destruction of the family unit, and government organizations and NGOs would take over those responsibilities. And when that happens, you're basically isolated. Every individual is isolated from every other individual. You live in your little cocoon, and you're supposed to play and work and consume until you die and, and not get involved in life and with those around you.
2: Yep. Okay, Alan, thanks for taking my call.
1: and good, good evening. And, and that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing a, a scientific uh, indoctrination, that the culmination of it, uh, where people are being taught to be egocentric. Uh, they call it egocentricity. They're and they do what's pleasing to them. They avoid any sort of long term uh, gain that involves pain, they want immediate pleasure. And this is a psychopathic system. Psychopaths are known for wanting immediate pleasure, but they've given us a culture which we now emulate, and we want to have fun all the time, which is not what living is all about. That's a recent idea that we're supposed to be happy all the time. And when they married psychiatry with government a long time ago, they brought the eugenics philosophies into it, and they brought in this idea that you're supposed to be happy uh, seven days a week 24 hours per day That's not what makes you grow uh, That's not what makes you a uh, full human being And yet uh, That's how the, pe- the people now have swallowed at hook, line, sinker They're emulating everything they've been taught They become what they've been taught And they don't want to hear bad news They really don't want any bad news at all They don't mind people getting killed All over the planet or starving to death somewhere As long as they're not Having to see it it might upset them if it was happening around them, uh, it definitely upset them if it, were ha- it was happening to them, but they don't want to see it. They want everything nice and clean and tidy and to live in a little bubble where the whole world can go away and they can live their own individual lives, retire and go fishing. That's what they've been taught. And while they're doing that, the big boys who've run this world for not a long time have planned the future. And it's a future with a very different humanity that's going to come out of it uh, a Huxley, a Huxley type of Brave New World, and in fact, I was just reading from uh, an old quote by Julian Huxley from a book that he wrote. Now, Julian Huxley was the brother of Aldo Huxley. The two brothers were the grandsons of Sir, uh, uh, it, was, it was Thomas Huxley, who was Darwin's best friend. And uh, Aldo Huxley was a top eugenicist. He became the first ger- uh, general director. Or Director General of UNESCO, the United Nations Educational Society. And the whole idea was set up to create a world system, a world culture, which they'd already planned which one it would be, and how everyone would have to come into the same system. I'll be back with a quote after these messages. and break this paradigm that everyone's involved with and most are unaware of and how it was created around them, how they got into it and how they've accepted it. But remember that Aldo Huxley talked about scientific indoctrination along with other ones, big players like Sir uh, Bertrand Russell, Lord Bertrand Russell. Well, here's UNESCO. UNESCO, the United Nations Educational United Nations was in fact Of Unesco should be a scientific world humanism, global in extent and evolutionary in background. This education program, it can stress the ultimate need for world political unity and familiarize all peoples with the implications of the transfer of full sovereignty from separate nations to a world organization, that's government. Political unification and some sort of world government will be required. Now, here, here's what he says here. Tasks for the media division, big media division of the United Nations. Tasks for the media division of UNESCO will be to promote the growth of a common outlook shared by all nations and cultures. In other words, one single culture, and everybody's got to be stuffed into the same bin. They don't like untidy cultures that won't join them. Was on essay to help the emergence of a single world culture. Now, we didn't plan this culture. There's boys at the top. You know, the scientist ones that are doing it all for us. And they've changed it along the route to this final culture. And we've all gone through it. We've seen the changes in our own lives. I'll continue here. Even though it is quite true that any radical eugenic policy, radical eugenic policy, look up eugenics, folks, for those who can't... Uh, think too deeply or have no memory, look up eugenics and be very, very afraid. Any radical eugenics policy will be for many years, politically and psychologically impossible. It will be important for UNESCO to see that the eugenic problem is examined with the greatest care and that the public mind is informed of the issues at stake. It's all about basically indoctrination into the public gradually. So that much that is now unthinkable may be at least become thinkable. You're being programmed to accept it, you see, to be familiar with the ideas. And that's what all these nature shows over the last 20, 30 years have been about. You're just another animal. And what's wrong with altering our behavior, our nature, etc., etc. So I'll just repeat that last part because it's so important even though it is quite true that any radical eugenic policy will be for many years politically and psychologically impossible, it will be important for UNESCO to see that the eugenic problem, now he says the eugenic problem, is examined with the greatest care, and that the public mind is informed of the issues at stake, so that much that is now unthinkable may at least become thinkable. Predictive programming, that's what we've all been through. And they had to go through all the different bases of uh, devaluating human life, which were pretty well accepted all across the board. And there's as many children going up chimneys, you know, across America and and Canada and Europe uh, than any burnt sacrifice done through history. And it's commonplace now every day. We don't think much of human life because we don't like children anyhow. That's just the way it goes at the top have all accepted their policies so there's from Mr. Huxley himself a man who should know since he was in on the formulation of this particular system now I think we have Vernon in New Hampshire, are you there Vernon? okay Andrew from North Vancouver hello Andrew, are Are you you there? there? yeah, okay great yeah I have um, something to Mm -hmm. um, say about Warren Buffett yeah. From the previous caller?
0: hmm
1: Well, um, I'm reading this book called The Committee of 300. Yeah. By Dr. John Coleman. hmm And uh, Warren Buffett apparently is one of the 300 most powerful people in the world. hmm Because uh, at the end of this book, there's a list of all the people. Yeah.
2: And Warren Buffett is there. Uh-huh.
1: Well, I wouldn't be surprised. As I say, these guys are lifers, and they've always been up there. Right, and uh, you always find that with the with the lifers in politics um they're 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 more than just uh, gifted or charmed people they have a certain uh, protection uh, they've always got a, a position a high position like Al Gore too uh-huh. I mean, Al Gore uh, has always been kept around in the background getting odd jobs here and there. Uh-huh. he's a walking allegory, that's why I call him al Gore
0: uh-huh.
1: and uh And then they give them a a position, which they probably decided they'd give them 10, 15 years ago. These guys have their lives mapped out for them, what they're going to be, the different positions they'll hold, the years that will hold them, just like a horoscope. Uh And and that's how the world is run, because we are going by 10, 15-year phases. They call them plans of the United Nations.
2: Uh And they follow these plans. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
1: And I think we have Maggie from Texas on the line. Are you there, Maggie? Hello? Maggie? Texas. Okay. Is Kevin from Texas there?
0: You recently mentioned certain popular writers who are uh, actually in the pay of the big boys, as you say, and, uh, and are paid uh, to uh, put out certain ideas. And you've mentioned in particular futurist types like Isaac Asimov and Arthur Clarke. I would like to know whether you put Stephen King in that same category, even though he's not strictly science fiction.
1: Yeah, I, I would, in fact, because uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of like some kinds of poetry. If, if you if you understand the esoteric uh, stuff that you see on on movies and in and in books, there's always an, an esoteric undercurrent uh, with rather astounding ideas that that grip you so well. And this in itself is a science that ta- is taught to people the study of the subconscious mind and what motivates science. That's why we get gripped by these particular types of writers. They understand that, and it is a science, understanding that as a science, and they're able to put it in, in their books. And they often give you little clues as to what's coming up in the, the near future uh, in the, their books. So I, I put them in the same category
0: okay uh thank you i i kind of suspected that yes and uh i admire your program very much thanks thank for your information
1: thanks for calling and you, you'll find that with uh, many of these uh, m- the big popular writers there's been some even in canada that made movies uh, they brought up uh, books and movies and and they went right into the, the, the whole thing of sadomaticism uh, and some of the movies were to do with or kind of horror movies, but and how the body could be literally altered uh, and the mind altered through certain types of pain, uh, coupled with sexual impact. And uh, it's quite amazing this is understood by these particular people. They actually put movies out about it, mainstream movies, and the public chomp their their peanuts and their their popcorn and blow their bubble gum and they, they don't really see the, the esoteric side of it and how they're being basically mocked and conditioned through the movies as they watch them. And we had a Kevin in Texas too. Are you there? Hello? Okay. and Now Vernon's back from New Hampshire. I think that's the second call. Hello? Hello?
0: Yeah? Uh, this is Kevin from Texas. Okay, Kevin. Okay, go ahead. Okay. I, I had a little more of a practical question I guess in a way. Um... I don't have a computer. I listen to you every chance I get on the radio, yeah. and and uh, last I think it was last Friday, um, I heard a man uh, called in and he was speaking to you and he was referring to your book. I did I had I didn't know you had written a book. Uh-huh. Is, yeah, is that true? Yeah, there's three out there on
1: this particular topic. Okay, well,
0: what I was wondering is how can I get a hold of your book?
1: You'd have to write to me, okay, and or phone me off the air, you know. And uh, um, and uh, actually, you could probably hang on for the engineer. I can talk to you then once the next break comes up. But
0: but, that's uh, what I was really wondering: is is how how can I how can I get your books?
1: Yeah. And uh, well, you'd have to write to me, and do you know someone with a computer? Because the address is there.
0: Okay, I do. My my son. I don't have a. My son does have a computer, and I do know your website. So I okay. guess I could, get, I could get your address off the website. The address is there and an order form too. And an order form. Okay,
1: and it tells you exactly what to do and how much they cost. I've written books previously to this whole site of it, but right now I'm just concentrating
0: on cutting through the matrix. And it's I understand new. that, but I, I, I'm. Uh, I don't have a computer. I really don't plan on getting one, but yeah. I can always get to one if I have to. Sure, yeah, yeah, you and, do that. Uh, so I was, I was wondering when I heard him referring to your book, and actually he was referring to certain pages last yeah. week. And uh, and when you all were talking, I was thinking, oh, geez, I gotta, I gotta get these books. That's what I need.
1: You yeah. know, and I, I do go through the, the the cult side of it. I show you some of the coding that's used every day in the newspapers. I show you how to put words together. And how the different coding works in the masonic side of it too and some of their codes and how literally they built codes into the english language because the english language as we know it is a fairly recent phenomena in the last 500 years and yeah, francis bacon and john Dee uh, talked about creating this language of the future that would be international they meant for business and sure enough english is the international business language used today so they put together a language, called it English. Before that, they spoke basically an old form of Saxon and German in, in, in England. And uh, this is the language. They put coding right into the language
0: and the alphabet, too. Yes, sir. I'm, I, well, of course, I'm American, so, you know, but uh, my family's from Scotland. And uh, yeah. several of the old people, when I was a kid, they still spoke Gaelic. Yes. And they used to talk about how English was not a real language. It was, it was put together, as I say, and uh, they tried
1: to say there's a lot of French words inserted, and some of them were later on. But uh, really, they put out the English language through Shakespeare and through the King James Bible, and it came through the universities at the time, and then proliferated amongst the people, until eventually people, by mimicking, uh, about 100 years later, all spoke this, this fairly new language. All the old words, there was thousands of old words that were long gone, uh, are all related to Germanic and Saxon roots, and even Gaelic itself has a lot in common with that too. Uh, similar words, vassar, etc. for water, and yeah. so, so they were updated the languages because they knew 500 years ago at Queen Elizabeth the first court that they were going to create a world of free trade with one system. And John D. coined the term that the British Empire, uh, based he said, it would be based on free trade with most favoured nation status for, for certain countries if they joined 500 years ago. Yeah.
0: Yes, sir, you're right. and I'm sure you're probably aware of, uh, a lot of people aren't really, but um, if you look in the front of your Bible, whatever Bible you have at home, and if you find out it was printed by the Oxford Press, yeah, uh, you may have some things to worry about
1: there. Well, even the King James Bible, if you get the Scottish edition, which I have here, uh, it's got the, the tribute given by the printers to King James. And he's called a scion in there. A scion, the royal Sion, And he's also called that great sun, capital S-U-N. Yes. And Queen Elizabeth that preceded him is called that great occidental star. Yes, sir, you're right. You see, so the, the ta- everyone's been tampered
0: with Done through oh, yeah. the itches yeah and and so I can get the information to get your books on cutting through the matrix, that's right, and that's it's through is it spelled completely or is it the short version it's it's a complete one, yeah, okay, well, that's all I really need i'll be I'll be ordering books from you. okay,
1: I'll touch you again thank you sir and And that's the reality again of the world we live in. It is a matrix, and it's quite easy when you realize that when you keep people busy and you put them through war after war where they're tired out and exhausted and they just want to have children, have families, and get on with life, how you can introduce new systems so easily until a generation or two later they have turned everything upside down and they think it's all quite natural. You keep them busy, busy, busy. You keep them worried and they scurry around trying to survive while the big boys run the show. And give us what they call our culture. And that every country in the West has a Department of Culture Creation, something they set up during World War Two, And the CIA eventually took it over for America. And they would empty cahoots with MI6 in Britain. Both of them came out the OSS. And they had offices in the US and in London. And they ran the culture industry that included music, uh, all the visual arts, and. Uh, even the nihilistic type paintings to show there were more left-wing than the left-wings could be. Therefore, they wouldn't join communism. They would join all the left-wing groups that they set up. That was the idea behind it. So, meanwhile, when everyone was out was fighting in the streets, communist versus capitalist, uh, they were all being had because it was the CIA and MI6 that ran the whole culture industry and both sides of it. That's how simple it was, and the media, of course, was all part of it at the top. Now, most of the media, as you know, or the lesser media, simply take their news from routers. I call it routers, not Reuters, because they route the news and everybody else parrots it without a problem. And you have, you have a couple of other news services. Personally, I think they're all one and the same to make sure the world gets all the same data or disinformation. And they upgrade us every so often with new data, and we get downloaded and then we parrot it, just like Zygmunt Brzezinski said, public shortly will be unable to think for themselves or reason for themselves they'll expect the media to do it for them and unfortunately that for most people has occurred they truly believe the media the media used to come on at 6 p.m. with the news every evening across the world Then they changed it to late night 10 or 11 p.m. because they found that when people are in a almost somnambulistic state they're tired then their shields are down uh, their intellect is switched off and they're easily programmed because they're under that sleepy, hypnotic type, the translate state. That's why they put it on late at night. You don't criticize what you see. Your sensor is down, and it goes straight into your, your subconscious, and sure enough, you go to work the next day, and you start parroting all this trivia that the media has given you to talk about. That's what the people will have for their conversation. We live in a very complex system scientifically created a long time ago well understood they have departments above governments who run the real show and professor carol quickly once again talked about that in his book tragedy and hope he should know he was the historian for the council on foreign relations and he thought it was a great idea to take over the world and create the single culture he also thought it was time for the public to know he thought they wouldn't mind And maybe he was right. Maybe most of them wouldn't mind, to be honest with you. But he said the same thing. He said that for 50 years, and this was printed in the 1960s, he said for 50 years the United States has had a parallel government running it. And that's when he went on to say it's not important about the lesser politicians. It's only important that we always put our own man in at the top with a coterie of advisers around them. That has actually happened. So there's, there's 50 years prior to the 1960s and it's admitted by the official historian for the Council on Foreign Relations, which is only the American branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Every British Commonwealth country has its Department of International Affairs. There are non-governmental organizations. The started off in Britain in the late 1800s early 1900s from the Cecil Rhodes Foundation that was chartered, given an official charter by the Crown. The Crown is the aristocracy and they merged it with the Lord Alfred Milner Group for the round table societies, the debating societies put them together and the idea was to push the one system based in London across the whole planet and If you wonder where Karl Marx came up with his idea of a three-trading-block planet in the 1800s, it was from the same uh, predecessors that formed these societies. They all knew the agenda. In the 1800s, they would turn the world into three main trading blocks, with a a united Europe to lead off the show, followed by a united Americas, and then followed by the Pacific Rim area and region that's come to pass in our own lifetime. It's underway right now for the rest of the, the, the two main continents. And the public have no input in it whatsoever. And it's never mentioned at general election times either. They always bring you back to the basics, welfare, health care, pensions, and so on. That's what they keep you focused on. But they never bring up the fact that you're losing your sovereignty. And yet that's... What the United Nations was set up to do in the first place. It was set up to eliminate national sovereignty. That was the whole point of the United Nations. Its precursor, the baby that started it all was the League of Nations, and even in its mandate, they published the same thing. H.G. Wells wrote about it. He says, technically, this is the end of national sovereignty with the League of Nations, because that the politicians are bypassed with bureaucratic officials who can now go right across to any country and talk to their counterparts in other nations. So it was to bypass politics altogether. That was the purpose of it. However, it was reinforced with the, the Royal Institute for International Affairs taking over. Most of the big media characters you'll ever hear of or see are, are, are members of the Council on Foreign Relations or in Britain, they're all in super-international affairs. In Canada, it's the Canadian Institute for International Affairs. It sounds very official, like the Federal Express, but it's not. It's a non-governmental organization. And if you read any of their books that they publish from these meetings, and they do publish two sets, one for their members and one for the public, if you want to, it states right on the front cover or the second page, it will tell you this is a private, non-political organization. They're telling the truth. They're non-political. The average person, you'll think that everything they talk about is politics, but it's not. They talk about an agenda as opposed to the bickering of politics. They follow an agenda. That's what it's all about. An agenda is simply a plan. And they make the plan happen. Their job is to Put it into your mind through predictive programming, through media, through repetition, which is the best tool of all, and even through the the various dramas that you see, the movies that you see, you're actually being programmed with new ideas of things that will come to pass in your own lifetime. And you'll accept them, just like the characters in the movie accept those particular situations without thinking. We live in a a very multi-dimensional world indeed, Now, another thing I was going to talk about was the water grab. Now, the the food grab is almost over in the world, and I don't know if people realize that, that even when I was small and I saw the big companies come up, like Heinz and Campbell's and so on, uh, giving you the fast foods for for the home, the tinned foods, which made us much more, more unhealthy. I wondered at the time how... How it could even arise and have so much wealth they could, they could start these businesses off and churn all of those cans out into this world and have everybody using them so easily and quickly. And they denatured the food, there's no doubt about it. The children uh, in my time were less active and energetic than the children a generation prior to that. But they've been taking over the food supply for a long time. In all wars you go for the food Ancient times they did it. You stopped the food going into cities when you besieged them. You cut off the water supply. That's what you did food and water. Very basic. Well, you find that now they're going after the water supply. We know that the food's under the five big agri- businesses as they call them, actually, Daniel Midlands, Monsanto, and all the rest of them. And at your dinals, Midlands is ADM, which is Adam. Adam was the man of the earth to take over the, the earth, you see, the food. I love these little jokes. But here's the water, and this is from, I'll talk about it after the following messages. Matrix, and just finishing off with this talk about water. For those who have a memory, and unfortunately people's memories are fading fast, and more quickly than ever before, we saw the beginning of the water takeover with the various watershed acts they call them, about four or five years ago, as they came round different states and areas and provinces in Canada, and tried to convince the public of how the government would have to take over. Everything that was a watershed. Now, the watershed is anywhere where it's ever rained, basically. They've redefined it now, so the whole world is a, a watershed. And this is from Golden, Colorado. It says here, Legislation quietly moving forward in the U.S. Congress would expand the federal government's control over U.S. waters to such an extent that even periodically wet grounds would come under feudal hegemony. A group of business leaders is warning... The bill represents one of the most expansive power grabs by the federal government over state and local uh, control in memory to Jim, Jim Sims, president and CEO of the Western Business Roundtable. The extent to which this bill puts states and their water resources under the thumb of the federal government is simply astounding. This bill would give federal agencies domain over virtually every wet area in the nation it will fundamentally erode the ability of citizens and state governments in particular to manage our own water resources. It would cause an avalanche of new unfunded mandates to envelope state and local governments. Sims added it will make it more costly to grow crops. Well, that's one of the mandates to put all the farmers out, what's slivers left of them, most of them are corporate farms now, provide water to cities, operate and maintain water storage and delivery facilities, produce energy, including renewable power, build and maintain public transportation systems etc 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 the legislation known as the clean water restoration act is sponsored by representative james oberstar from minnesota in the house hr 2421 and senator russell feingold wisconsin in the state that's that's he's just put another one in one eight seven zero that's another one the senate sorry the bill's sponsors contend U.S. waters are threatened due to Supreme Court decisions in 2001 and 2006 that clarified which waters fall under federal jurisdiction. But a change in the Clean Water Act's jurisdictional sweep from regulation of, of navigable waters to uh, waters of the United States, the bill would have a devastating impact on Western state sovereignty and virtually every citizen in our region, Sim says. So there you go. They're after everything that we need to stay alive and maintain ourselves because to have things that we need, such as water and food, would make us independent in this whole world under this system is interdependence, that big buzzword from the United Nations and put out by Margaret Thatcher and parroted by every leading politician since... Interdependence means you're not independent anymore. As a citizen, as a single person, as, as a nation uh, or, or a country, it's, it's the same thing, taking away your independence and ability to live and maintain yourself. One day it will be antisocial to grow a garden and feed yourself. That will come you're supposed to be interdependent. You're taking work away from others by growing your own food. And if you think I'm kidding, look at what they created in China. It's called social approval and social disapproval, promulgated to the citizens who now mimic what they've been taught. For myself and Hamish up in Ontario, Canada, it's good night and may your God or your gods go with you.